Hello, Spotlight friends. Welcome to another episode of Obvious Spotlight. Today, I'm visiting with my friend, Meg Hunter-Kilmer. Thank you so much for being with us, Meg. We are going to talk about Black and African-American saints. So excited um, for Black History Month for you to round out this episode for us. There are a lot of saints of color that we hear about a lot. And so I'm more than happy to talk about those or talk about new ones. I know that you know everything that there is to know about every saint that has been and will be. So I'm so blessed to have you here. I'm really gassing you up a lot. So I'm. Girl, I wish that was true. (laughs) Do you know how much of my life I spend stressed out about how many things there are to know that I don't know yet? Dude, in the beatific vision, I will know all the things about all the saints. Dude, the idea that you don't know something, though, is shocking to me. So I'm. (laughs) I'm excited for you to be here and share with us. Thank you so much for being here. I would love for everyone listening, for those that are listening that don't know who Meg is, which seems insane to me, can you (laughs) introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so my name is Meg Hunter-Kilmer, and I'm an itinerant missionary. So I live out of my car, and I drive around the country and fly around the world telling people how much God loves them. I also am an author. I have two books out already, another one coming out in the fall. So my first two books are on the saints, particularly lesser known saints with an emphasis on representation, ethnic representation, and also representation of different family types and disabilities and mental illnesses and all that. So Saints Around the World is a kid's book and Pray for Us is more for adults. And I just love telling stories and I love helping people to feel seen in the church and help help people to understand that God made them on purpose the way that he wants them and that he's calling them to holiness as they are. Ooh, amen. Okay. And so give us, you know, I want people to have a vision for how long you've been doing this thing. So like, (laughs) how long have you been studying, learning? I mean, there are days when I just can't even remember my own confirmation saint. So (laughs) how long have you been kind of like learning this whole thing? I'd love to know. You know, not that long. Uh, I mean, it's been probably six or seven years, Mm. maybe eight years. I wasn't into the saints before. I like really, really, because I'd only ever heard the stories told really badly. And Mm. so people would be like, what's a good saint for this? And I would be like, I don't know, Jesus. Like, (laughs) And then I heard the stories told well, and I realized that the purpose of the saints isn't to detract from the attention we give to Jesus, but to help us to see that it is possible for us to pursue Jesus in our particular circumstances. And when Mm. we tell the stories well, when we see the real person and not just like the supernatural elements, but, but the struggle and the frustration and the hobbies, like all of these little things, make it possible for us to look at our lives and say, yeah, okay, I can do this. Like Mm. I can be a saint, but you know, I don't really do things halfway. Right. And so when I started learning about the saints, I was like, oh, I should know all the things about all of the saints. And I should make sure to tell everybody else too. Right. So, you know, it's been six or seven years, but six or seven very intense years. Yeah. I'm like, if you're going to go for it, you might as well go for it. I recall one time, I think you were doing research on one and this probably has happened to you more than once. But I remember w- watching you on Instagram and you were talking about trying to find a translation of something <laughs> at like some horrific time of night. And you were like, <laughs> and I was like, Meg, if there is anyone more committed to this cause than Meg, then I need to meet them. So <laughs> I am like so grateful to you for sharing with us. And I would love, so we are in Black History Month. There are tons of awesome 
saints of color, black saints that, you know, we know about. There are a lot that we know about that we hear about all the time. But would you like to share, and I'd love for you to share, a story about a Black saint or soon-to-be um, saint that has touched you recently? Ooh, ooh, girl, that's hard. You know, and I love, there's tons that we hear about all the time. There's Martin mm-hmm. DeCorez and Josephine Bakita. Amen. That we hear about all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then there's a whole lot of others, too. Mm. Uh, so many incredible saints. And it's been really beautiful to me for the Lord just to make the importance of representation clear in my life, not just so that I can offer that to others, but because of the relationships that I've developed with saints that I wouldn't have gotten to know if I hadn't been like, okay, I should really make sure that I know stories of people who don't look like me. And so just getting to know all of these different saints. Right now, I'm really into Blessed Cyprian Michael Iwenetanzi, who is a Nigerian man. He's in my children's book, Saints Around the World. So he was a 20th century Nigerian man born into a non-Catholic family. And he encountered Christians, Catholics in school, and he converted to Catholicism. His family was not thrilled. He's like nine years old. They were not, not thrilled with this. And then he ended up becoming a priest. And they were like really not thrilled with that because they weren't Catholic yet at the time. And just the feeling that really surrounded so much of this man's life was people Mm. looking at him and saying, what a waste. Mm. That's what a a waste, you know, like him becoming Catholic. What a waste because his father was really an important man in his community. And like, he could have become a leader in this tribe, but like he he couldn't because of his religious affiliation. And then he becomes a priest and they're like, well, now he can't even have kids. Like who's going to take care of him when he's older? Like just this importance of family life in that community but he was this amazing priest. And at the time, the clergy in Nigeria was really very European. And he was sort of one of the early ones who was a member of the native clergy in this this period when the church was beginning to realize how important it was for people to see themselves in the clergy and the religious around them. 70 men from Father Tansi's parish, the parishes he served in, ended up becoming priests. Oh my gosh. Wow. 70. Like Whoa. that's the kind of man he was, including Francis Cardinal Lorenzo. So like a cardinal Wait, of the church what? baptized by Blessed Cyprian Michael Iwanetansi went on to become a cardinal. Wow. Like because of this guy who was like so simple and so holy, like all of the other priests, you know, like they're not from that culture. And so they just, they need nicer houses than the local people and they need a car. And there's just a lot of things that like, because they're trying because they're coming from a, from a different circumstance, you know, maybe that's going to feel like a need to them, but he's a local boy. Right. So he was like, I don't need a car. I can ride a bicycle. And he would ride his bicycle like dozens of miles to get to the different villages in this enormous parish that he would work in. And he was also really big into advocating for women's rights. And so for women's education and also, and part of it was like a chastity thing, right. That, that there were men and women who were cohabiting or who were engaged in activities outside of marriage. And, Mm. and he was trying to stop them, but not just as like a morality thing from a, from a sixth commandment issue, but also that like that was dangerous for these women's future because they didn't have a commitment so that they were then going to be cared for. And so he was like advocating for these things for the protection of these women. And one time he's riding his bike through town and he sees this woman who's being assaulted by a group of men. And he's this priest jumps off his bicycle 
throws it down, runs over and starts like pulling the guys off of her, right? So he like saves her from this attack. And then he says to her, you need to take them to court. You need to bring charges against them. And she was like, I don't know if I can, Hmm. because at the time, like it just wasn't a thing that was done in that culture. And he was like, no, you have to, you have to do that for yourself and you have to do that for other women. And so he like encourages her to take these men to court. It ends up being this like landmark Nigerian court case for the protection of women's rights. I mean, just like, just this amazing father, you know, and such a beautiful saint to get to know if you've struggled with priests who are distant or with seeing the way that the church has allowed abuse to take place and hasn't stepped in and stopped things to have this priest who's like, oh no, I will throw my bike across the road and I will run over and I will drag those men off. you like, I will save you. Wow. And eventually he felt that God was calling him to be a monk. And again, people are like, what a waste, right? Mm-hmm. Like here you are, you're doing all these amazing things. Like you're accomplishing so much. And he was like, I have to be faithful to who God is calling me to be. And there were no monasteries in Nigeria at the time. I don't, I don't know that there were any contemplative monasteries in West Africa at the time. And so he went to England to uh, study and to take vows so that he can come back and plant a foundation in West Africa. And when he got there, it doesn't seem to have been a racism thing. It's just that they were like, you are not a monk. Like you're a priest and that's great, but you are not a monk and you have to learn. And so you Mm. can't, you can't celebrate mass for the public and you can't hear confessions and you can't preach and you can't like, you can't do anything because your job is to be a novice right now. And that's like a pretty typical thing if a priest enters a religious community. But again, that feeling of like God calling him to a place that looks so fruitless Mm. and him saying, I will follow God's call. Even if I have no evidence that it's going to bear fruit, I will follow God's call. And he just, he lived the rest of his life in a very hidden way. He eventually was able to take vows, but he died very young. He wasn't able to plant a foundation in West Africa. And again, I think people look at his life and they would say, what a waste, Mm. you know, like he was maybe about to finally do something. Like every time he's about to do something, God's like, no, actually, actually, I I need you to be, to look useless in the eyes of the world. But the man is blessed, right? He's on his way to being the first canonized Nigerian saint. And he's such a witness to so many people, obviously the people of Nigeria and people in the Nigerian diaspora. But I think for anybody who wants to be a priest with that heart for his people, for anybody who has suffered because they haven't encountered priests like that, and especially for people who just feel like their life is a waste, mm. to be able to say, sometimes God calls you to something that looks fruitless, but you are sowing seeds that you might never see. That's blessed Cyprian Michael Iwene Tanzi. He's just, wow. just such a gift, I think, to the church. Amen. Meg, thank you for sharing. That is so amazing. I... I'm shook by that. And definitely, I think a lot of people will feel like it's very relatable to feel like your life is not really building up to maybe even what you thought, you know, but God can really use you even when things seem like I'm just not really sure what's going on, which I think a lot of us, including myself, have felt like I'm just not really sure what's going on at many times. So for him to have such radical trust in the Lord is very foreign to me (laughs) Mm -hmm. because it's just hard sometimes when you feel just stuck this episode is brought to you by hallow 
the number one Catholic app for prayer, meditation, music, and more. Hallow features litanies, novenas, and other challenges to get you praying more often and connect with your community. It also features Bible stories and guest sessions from well-known Catholic speakers like Father Mike Schmitz, Bishop Barron, Jonathan Rumi from Chosen, Dr. Scott Hahn, and Father Mark Mary. Hallow is an amazing resource for any Catholic looking to dive deeper into their prayer life, find more peace, and ultimately grow closer to God. Make sure to check out Hallow at hollow.com slash Ave Spotlight. Hollow.com slash Ave Spotlight. I would love to ask you, so you, you know, obviously know a lot of saints. You call them your friends. You have very like intimate relationships with them. And I know a lot of people, like you were saying in the beginning, you weren't super into the saints and that whole thing before you found your niche. But I would love to know what a relationship with the saints looks like and how that can be beneficial for us personally. I think it's a tricky thing because it does look different for different people. For me, it's very much about the story. I need a story that resonates with me. And when I've heard a story and and figured out sort of the meaning of that story, then I can feel that saint accompanying me when I'm in a similar circumstance. Mm. For some people, it's utterly nonsensical, right? They're just like, I love this saint and I just love him. Like, I just love him and that's why I love him. And that's awesome. I love that, (laughs) right? Because I think that to me is a sign of a real relationship. Like for me, that's Mm. what it is with St. Barnabas. Like he just loves me and I just love him. And there doesn't need to be an explanation for it. Sometimes you'll read a quotation from a saint. You'll even see a picture. I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of Blessed Charles de Foucault. No. But the first time I saw a picture of him, I was like, I love him. Okay. Like, this, look at his eyes. I love him. Fair. Like, he has Jesus' eyes. And then I read a story and was like, oh my gosh, I can see I what God was it. doing. Like, <laughs> yeah. I understand why. But I think that if this is something you're trying to cultivate, it really helps to read a lot of different stories of the saints until there's one that really resonates with you. And Obviously, I would recommend my books because I work really hard to tell stories that help introduce you to the person. I also really like the works of Anne Ball. She wrote Modern Saints, Volumes 1 and 2, and she has a couple of other books. She is really great for giving you a sense of who the person is. But read until there's somebody where you're like, ooh, this person. And then figure out, like, why does this person speak to me, right? So for Mm. me, St. Leopold Mondich is one who I had, like, no particular interest in And then I discovered an element of his story. You know, I'd only ever heard he was short and he was good at hearing confessions. And I was like, cool, neither of those things is relevant to me. (laughs) And then I heard about how he had this deep longing to work to reunite the Eastern and the Western churches. And he knew this is what God was calling him to do. And he felt absolutely certain of this for decades. And he was sent by his superiors to live in Italy. And he never got to do that work. And four months before he died, he said, now I am certain that God is calling me to work to reunite the East and the West. And then he died. And to see a man who had one driving passion in life that was never fulfilled, who died happy because really his heart was not for that work. Really his heart was for Jesus. And so for me, when I'm feeling unfulfilled, when I have longings that the Lord does not satisfy, when I have prayers that go unanswered for years, to sit with somebody who had that same experience and never had the answered prayer is such a gift for me. To be able then to know that my 
joy comes from Jesus and not from what he offers, right? You read about these saints who prayed and prayed for something and finally got it. And that's great, but I don't want to fix my hope on answered prayers. I want to fix my hope on the one who answers prayers. And so when I'm tempted to despair, I just imagine Leopold Mondich sitting next to me, very short. The man was four foot five, right? So he like leans his head against my shoulder. A short king. And he is just like, yeah, it's really hard. Wow. And God is still good. My God. Right? And so knowing that like he's beside me in that suffering. And Mm -hmm. I, I think that's really important for me to see the way a saint speaks to a particular struggle of mine. You know, like maybe you've lost a child in an accident that you feel like you could have prevented to look at blessed Concepcion Cabrera de Armida, whose three-year-old drowned in a fountain at her house while she was home. To know that she sits next to you and is like, it is awful and it is unfair. And I hate that God did not protect you from this, but God is still good, right? Just knowing that these saints suffered, that they weren't like, yeah, it's cool. I was so happy to experience that loss. They were like, this is absolutely awful. And it almost broke me, but it didn't. And it doesn't have to break you either. And I will sit here next to you and I will hold you up and God will strengthen you to survive this, right? Those points of connection, I think are so beautiful or, or to see like a witness. I love Venerable Pierre Toussaint, who was a Haitian American, a black man who was enslaved in Haiti and then lived in New York and ultimately purchased his freedom in New York. And one of the things that I love most about him is he would go and visit suffering people And people would say afterwards, well, what did you say to them? And he would say, nothing. Hmm. There was nothing to say. I just sat with her in her pain. And I I am Job's friends and I want to answer. I want to fix and I want to theologize and I want to explain. And it's so good for me when I want to come in here and like fix things to hear Venerable Pierre Toussaint say, no, it helps most just to be with them. You cannot say anything, right? So just the major witness of a saint doing incredible things and dying for Jesus. And then those little things of a saint just saying, Hey, I know you want to fix this, but you just need to sit and love them in silence. And having all of those stories that then can speak into the different areas of your life. I just, I think it's such a gift because there are times when the devil wants to convince us that we are ineligible for God's love Mm. and the saints sit beside us, you know, like they're like, okay, well, I was a satanic high priest. So I just think you're going to need to try a so little bit harder anybody. if you want to be ineligible for God's love. <laughs> oh because my it's, goodness. Just, it's never going to happen. Yeah. It's never going to happen. I think they just bring such hope. Wow. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for sharing about those other saints as well. I personally have a relic of her as well. My friend, servant of God, Julia Greeley. Yes. Yes. When I lived in Denver, I used to visit her all the time in the cathedral downtown. And she's like so amazing. And the fact that she did so much of her work in secret, because so many people were embarrassed to be helped by a slave and a black Mm -hmm. person. And she was just so kind and intentional, even when people didn't appreciate her, which was all the time. And she offered her prayers and was just so powerful in her just humility and willingness to help people even when they were embarrassed to receive it, but needed it because she saw that need and was willing to put herself out there anyway. 
So, her so humility cool. was wild. Yeah. Like I want credit for literally everything moderately related to anything I've ever done. Like anytime Amen. someone mentions a saint, I'm like, I wrote about them and that's why you know about them. Please <laughs> yeah. let everybody know that I'm amazing. Did you read right? my Alatea article? Yeah. Right, exactly. And she's <laughs> over there, like her body ravaged by arthritis, dragging her little wagon for miles and miles in the terrible summer heat, secretly giving people help because she didn't want to embarrass them. Mm. Like, what the heck? I know. I know. I'm over here on a street corner, like, excuse me, canonize me now. I know. Real queen. And actually, I'm glad you brought her up. If everybody who is listening could just say a quick prayer for a little girl named Julia. She okay. is having some serious medical issues and they're asking the intercession of Julia Greeley. So oh, 100%. Real quick yeah, while you're listening. 100%. Thanks, everyone listening. Yeah, totally. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Some, some great, great queens and kings out there that are really setting the standard for all of us. And- it is so nice to know that there are people out there that have gone through it and gone through it in real ways, drug addiction, sex addiction, like real ways that a lot of people suffer, like the nitty gritty things that people are embarrassed to talk about. It's so good to know that there were people that had the same problems, you know, and you could really sit with them and be like, it's okay. <laughs> there is hope on the horizon and you don't have to be here and let that be your definition of like who you are, where you're supposed to end up. So I think that's so dope. And I really appreciate all that you share. And I'd love for you to share where people can find out more about what you're doing and follow your journey. And so we can also pray for you because I know you have so much going on. Yes. yes. Please pray for me. So if you could um, please Yeah. Share. So your best bet, if you Google hobo for Christ, you'll find me and all of my social media is there on my website. I've got like a blog and a podcast that I usually forget about, but I most of the time remember about my social media. So you can find me there and then you can find links to my books and anything else that I've created, I usually eventually remember to put on there. <laughs> Sweet. Okay. So if Meg remembers what she does, you guys, make sure to check her out, um, <laughs> especially on her social media, because this queen is very busy. So at the end of each one of our episodes, we ask each guest about something that gives them hope. If you need some time to think about it, I can go first. Oh, no. Or if mm, you're no, ready, I'm ready. Like, you can go. Oh, okay. girl. It's the Olympics. Oh, it is 100% the Olympics. Yes. I love the Olympics so much. I love okay. everything about the Olympics. I also love the things that I hate about the Olympics, right? Mm -hmm. Because like, I want to complain all day long about like how beach volleyball is on for seven hours straight and nobody even gave those people clothes, right? Like Amen. whatever <laughs> I'm, but I just, I love, I love the joy and the triumph and I love the camaraderie and mm -hmm. I love that people care about these, these people for I don't know, two weeks out of every four years. I just, I think that there's a lot of brokenness in this world and there's a lot of brokenness, honestly, even in the Olympics, right? With like doping and with the horrors that we're all just ignoring that are being wrought by the Chinese government against the Uyghur people and the detention camps and re-education camps and with Russia trying to distract the world from what they're doing in Ukraine. And like, obviously, like there's a lot- There's a wealth there's like an under an undercurrent of all of this ugliness that we cannot ignore in the mm. Olympics, but there's just also something beautiful about the way that people are able to just be people mm. in the Olympics. And at least for the athletes that they're able to look past divisions of race and culture and politics and just admire someone's hard work. So we've got 
one more week of the Olympics as we're recording this and I am going to be watching it nonstop and I'm pretty psyched. I love that. And I love following your Facebook, just like free thoughts as you just post about all your thoughts as it's happening live. I feel I feel like I'm sitting next to you. And I have a quick question. Did you cry alongside Sean White? Because I <laughs> must have watched him cry when his family came on screen after yeah. he got fourth place. I think I honestly cried so many times watching that clip because I was reading some comments and people were like, Sean White is to snowboarding how Tony Hawk was to skateboarding. Like, Absolutely. We, we need to understand that this is a whole era that is being ended. Like, this is a big deal. And just thinking about, like, the impact that he's made on the sport and it being, like, his last hurrah, like, oh, it's so emotional. Chanel, do you know there was a child who was snowboarding with him, a 16-year-old boy who was competing against him at the Olympics who was 10 months old when Sean White won his first gold medal? Like, this boy has never known snowboarding without Sean White at the top oh, of the podium, like, ever. huge. And he is at the Olympics. Like, he's not four Right. He's 16. And it, like his entire world has been dominated by Sean White and that he now gets to he gets to compete against him. He got to give him a hug afterwards when he was crying. And I was just like, oh, my God, that's yeah. huge. Dude. Yeah, I was feeling some feelings. Yeah, for sure. And that's part it. of it, too. Like the just this community of people that really are able to love each other. And obviously there's like complexity to all of that. But that there are kids who get to compete against their heroes, mm. who get to beat their heroes. Remember that Singaporean kid who beat Michael Phelps? Mm -hmm. And it's just like, and Michael Phelps was so proud of him, right? Like that's the thing is that they're, they're building up the next generation and it's not a desperate need to like grasp onto anything or mm -hmm. to control, you know, and I think this is something that we see in the church sometimes where people are like, we have fought to have this power and we can't let the next generation or we can't give it back to the previous generation, whatever. It's all about control. And, and you see in these sports, people are so excited to pass the torch. Mm. And I think we can definitely learn from some of that in yeah. our church to, to be excited to empower younger generations so that they can preach the gospel in new and creative and exciting ways and draw hearts to Jesus. Mm, amen. Yes, everyone, watch the Winter Olympics. They don't. They do not get enough love out here. I think like <laughs> summer Olympics are like the popular girl at school. So winter, mm -hmm. winter is like the girl that takes off her glasses and like you find out she's <laughs> you find out she's cute like halfway. She through is the all movie. that. Yeah, she's like all that halfway through the movie. <laughs> But yeah, that's awesome, dude. Something that gives me hope recently, I am cooking a Mardi Gras dinner for some of my old co-workers, and I got to go shopping with my mom, and I ordered some king cakes in the mail, and they recently just came in the mail. So I'm going to decorate them tomorrow, and I'm making jambalaya cornbread, crawfish, red beans, Ooh. Ooh. and mac and cheese. Um, and when I tell you, I'm so excited and I'm so, <laughs> it just is giving me such hope just even in life that I was blessed with such like a cool community of people that were my coworkers and that are now my friends. So I'm really excited to like break bread with them and, you know, listen to some Mardi Gras music. So really, really excited about that. And I am just so grateful that you chatted with us today, Meg, and we will make sure to put all the ways that we can reach you and find out more about what you're doing in our show notes so people can check that out. 
And I hope that you have a wonderful evening. For those listening, it's like 7.30. Meg and I were supposed to start recording at 6.30, but then I think I talked her ear off for like half an hour. So I mean, we're just <laughs> actually friends, which I, I think like, is fun. Like people listening to podcasts don't always realize that it's not just like a radio guest, right? Like yeah, we're actually like, friends actually... and I'm like going to come visit you and you're going to cook me some crawfish. And okay. I'm pretty psyched about it. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, amen. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I've known you since I was like, 18. That's like, oh, so that's awkward. like insane to think about. It was so awkward, but we'll skip that part. Everyone have a <laughs> wonderful rest of your day. Thank you for listening. And thank you for being with us, Meg. My pleasure. Thank you, friend. Thank you guys for listening. And thank you so much to Meg for being our guest. I'm looking really forward to next week's episode where we will round out Black History Month. And I'm really excited for you guys to hear it. In the meantime, please pray for me. I'll be praying for you. God bless. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.